1: it was that moment it's very clear to me that you know at some point you see things in front of you and you know it's the right thing to do and it absolutely will be one of the scariest things to do but you, you can't avoid it it will come back up
2: Hello and welcome to Don't Stop Us Now. I'm Claire Hatton. And I'm Greta Thomas. And we're on a mission to help you achieve your goals. We're all about sharing the secrets of the world's most innovative and pioneering successful women. Hear their uplifting stories and practical advice right here. Yes,
3: right here. And if you're enjoying this podcast, then why not sign up for our newsletter at hello at don'tstopusnow.co And keep
2: listening for this week's latest episode. Hello and welcome to this week's episode featuring an American woman who abandoned the security and prestige of working with some of the world's most sought after ad agencies, To start her own businesses.
3: That's right. Her name is Alison Kent-Smith, and she's consciously refused to adapt to fit the stereotypical picture of a VC-backed founder. Now, before I say more, listeners, as you can probably hear, I appear to be losing my voice, so I'm going to let Claire do most of the talking today.
2: Yes, indeed, I will. And listeners, you know, I don't know if this is a coincidence, But it seems that Gret often loses her voice and gets sick right before we've got a huge international leadership program to run. So no. (laughs) Yes, indeed. And we've got one of those starting tomorrow. Well, that's true. Yes. (laughs) So I've actually said to Gret she has to try and save her voice so she's not allowed to speak much so that I don't have to end up running the entire two-day program on my own which happened before. And it is hard to do when
3: we've planned that both of us would be sharing the delivery, I grant you. It
2: certainly is, particularly if you don't have any idea it's going to happen. Anyway, (laughs) we won't go there. You know, I know it's not deliberate. Thanks. And it's been completely crazy busy um, as you've moved your invalid father, so... um, It's not COVID, thank goodness. Yeah, that's for sure. So we're all good. So enough of our audio challenges and on to a true audio entrepreneur, Alison Kent-Smith. Alison has created a whole new platform for creating content where audio is the star, but creators can also include links, notes, and other multimedia resources right there where you listen. The startup she's founded in the US is called Guide, that's G-I-I-D-E, and Alison is focused on how to blend audio with enriched multimedia to make learning outcomes so much better. And in this conversation, you'll hear how Alison has experienced a few seminal moments when she just knew she had to leap out of her comfort zone work-wise what a Silicon Valley VC told her when she met with him for funding that nearly made her give up, why she asks herself how she can do less when she wakes up. Yes, you heard it, less. And how she's found her tribe of investors and supporters by staying really true to herself. So sit back and enjoy this episode with the not-so-typical entrepreneur, Alison Kent-Smith. Well Allison, welcome to Don't Stop Us Now. Thank you. Glad to be here. We're super thrilled you've joined us today and I think you are sitting in the wonderful town of Boulder in Colorado in the US, aren't you? That's right. That's right. Mountains right out the window here. Yeah, beautiful. One of the first questions we always like to ask our guests, just so that our listeners can really ground who you are and what you do, is if you were at a dinner party, how would you briefly describe what you do to the person sitting next to you?
1: I would introduce myself as a startup founder of a new innovative audio platform, one that um, changes how we all communicate and share information by combining audio with interactivity.
2: Wow. I bet you get some interest when you
1: say that. There's always, yeah, people always perk up. I think there's a lot of interest in audio right now and how people are using it, publishing it, consuming it. And when you layer on the possibility of clicking on things that you hear versus side Googling or having to stop the audio and go find that thing, people get really excited about it.
2: Yeah, I can imagine. We obviously love audio. (laughs) Here we are Mm -hmm. podcasting. so we are. Yeah, we're we're super excited to learn more about this incredible innovation that you're making. But before we do get into that, love to really just understand you. So
1: where did you grow up? So I'm from the South in the United States. I I was born in New Orleans, Louisiana, which many people are familiar with, with Mardi Gras and other things. And my mom's family was from Pensacola, Florida, which is just right down the coast. And so I spent a lot of time in both cities, but also jumped around a bit. My father always believed that, you know, every two years we needed to move someplace new. Uh, He was of that mindset. By the time I was eight, had lived in about 10 different places, And we're not in the military. (laughs) He was just a a very curious nomad in the 1970s. And that's what we did. So we jumped around. So I lived in Houston and Little Rock, Arkansas and in different places uh, as a kid, which really, I think, informed my adventurous spirit.
2: Wow. And so it's informed your adventurous spirit. But how do you think it's impacted you know, some of the life decisions that you've
1: made? I think I, in many ways, feel the same about moving and experiencing new things and being curious and always looking for opportunity. Um, My father was also an entrepreneur. He sold real estate. He had various businesses, dry cleaning businesses and different retail businesses, We sold snow cones out of our front window of our house, you know, in the summer. And he was always into things. And I I think all of that, the moving, having an entrepreneur as a father, really just informed me in many ways, gave me a lot of courage, I think is how I would describe it.
2: Yeah, I can imagine that you are more likely to take risks because of that. That's right. And be more adaptable too, I would have thought.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: Were there any downsides?
1: I mean, I think as a kid, you know, it might feel a little unstable with the moving and the the new things. But I think that, you know, in the long term, it's all upside, uh, at least for me. So no, I besides just feeling a little like, where are we going to be next? But, you know, as I got older, that anticipation was actually quite exciting. I have a daughter who's nine years old. And I think, being adaptable and flexible. It teaches you all of those things.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And such important skills for the future, because let's face it, they're going to be fundamental to where we go and how successful we are. So what did you imagine then that you would do when you
1: grew up? Uh, Well, when I was really young, you know, I thought I would be an adventure photographer. You know, that that was my thing. I, I wanted to be out in nature Traveling, taking photos. And, you know, that lasted probably until about high school. And then once I really started getting out into the world as a new adult, a new business was a direction I wanted to go. And I always knew I wanted to own my own business. You know, I was at the kid 18 or 19, like making earrings for people and sitting outside of football games and trying to sell them and painting pots and, you know, selling pots. So, before starting this business, if I count all the things I did as a kid or just growing up through my twenties and thirties, I probably started like 10 different things. Gosh. So it, yeah. So that brought me a lot of joy, but yeah, I knew I would start my own thing for sure and go in the direction of business.
2: Yeah. Wow. Sounds like you just had to build those skills before you jumped into starting your own business. Cause you didn't jump in right from
1: say, school or uni, did you? No. No, 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 no. Yeah. No, I mean, I think I spent time learning from really some pretty amazing people. And when I finally really jumped off <laughs> jumped off the ledge, I had just an amazing boss in San Francisco and I told him my story that I wanted to start, a, you know, a consultancy and he said I'll be your first customer. Wow. And so that story still sits with me because it set me on my path.
3: Amazing and so lucky to have such a supportive boss. But let's go back. What did you end up studying at university?
1: I had a liberal arts degree and it was really focused on communications, theater, arts. So I sort of mixed things up for my undergraduate degree. And then I took some time in between undergrad and graduate school, which was really smart. It probably took, you know, at least eight years in between, maybe. And then I studied integrated marketing communications, which took me down the path of marketing and and really understanding that side of the business, which I enjoy.
3: Yeah. And what do you think it was that led you
1: to that marketing sphere? The ability to write and communicate and, you know, capture people's attention and understand sort of the underlying mechanisms of human behavior were all really interesting to me. And on a good day, that's what marketing is. So I was interested in the communication side and how to convince people and persuade people. You know, I would geek out on that kind of stuff. So that's the direction I wanted to go, like figure out how to market and sell products and services that can make a difference in the world.
3: Yeah. And then you ended up working for some pretty big uh, advertising names. Um, I think your last agency that you worked at was Goodby Silverstein and Partners. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. What would you describe as some of the highlights of your time in that advertising world?
1: Oh, so many amazing things. (laughs) Well, I worked at Crispin, Porter Bogusky when they were at their heyday. You know, this was like 2007, 2008. And you know, walking into to the Crispin office in those years here in Boulder was like walking into sort of a magic land. At one point, like hundreds and hundreds of people in that office, you know, work everywhere, creative everywhere that you turned, lots of ideas, lots of innovation. And just you know, people who were really dedicated to the craft and understanding how to to get ideas out in the world. And so I was fascinated by that. Although I was on the peripheral, I had a very specific sort of assignment when I worked there. I've always been the person that worked a job for the first time. So when I'm hired, I'm always the first one to hold the position. (laughs) I was hired really at Crispin to launch a school, a new school for, for the industry. And so I worked with partners like Microsoft and others to do that. And that was amazing. But yeah. And then it could be, you know, my description of that agency is just some of the kindest, smartest people in the industry, genuine, generous people that are doing, I think, consistently some of the best work that I've ever seen. They still are today, of course. So yeah, just I feel very grateful to have been at two places that have just been amazing influencers in the industry. Yeah, they're both iconic names.
2: You were in the agency world for for quite some time and then I think you decided to jump and really go towards that entrepreneurial pool that you've always had. What was it that made you go, this is the right time for me to jump?
1: Well, I had just had my daughter. My daughter was, gosh, at the time, probably like seven months old. I'd taken some time off, maybe four months or so, and I lived right outside of San Francisco in Mill Valley, which is a great little city. I was driving to work, heading into San Francisco, and I just happened to notice, I was at a elementary, a stoplight, and I was at a school, and I was just watching the parents walk their kids into school, and I just thought, gosh, if I stay on the track of working for others as hard as I've been working and not for myself then i'm not going to be walking my kid to school with the same flexibility and so it was in that moment at the stoplight that i decided that i needed to gather all that courage and uh, have the conversation with the agency and like i'd mentioned before that you know absolutely supportive of the direction that i went in and actually you know became a customer but it was that moment it's it, very clear to me that You know, at some point you see things in front of you and you know it's the right thing to do, and it absolutely will be one of the scariest things to do. But you you can't avoid it. It will come back up.
2: Yeah. (laughs) And you know, you're right though, it does you can have that seminal moment, can't you? And you can know in your heart of heart, but actually having the courage to take action is the is the really challenging thing. How scared were you before you had that conversation
1: with your boss? I don't think I was too scared at that point. I knew it was the right thing to do. Yeah. And, and it, look, it wasn't because I thought that my work life would be easier. In fact, you know, I knew that like going into business for myself would actually probably make it quite harder in many ways. And it did, it proved to do that, you know, mm. but I think having the control over my destiny and really doing the thing that I love every day was the lever, if you will. So I don't know if I, at that point, because I had been working towards it. And like I said, even at a young age wanted to do it, it almost felt like, okay, it's inevitable. This is the right time.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So you kind of, you had the strategy, you were already on that path. That makes a lot of sense. And then how did you go about starting your first business? Cause I don't think guide is your first business. Is that right?
1: No, no, no. I started a a consultancy called Smith & Beta, which was really about, you know, exactly what I was doing at the agencies, helping brands and agencies evolve digital and tech capabilities. So the start was that first conversation with my boss at Goodby and him committing to being the first customer. Really, that was it. I was sort of off to the races and a whole lot of hustle. So, you know, I'd never really... Started a business formally before, so learning all the operational things that I needed to learn as well as just being the salesperson, the marketer, <laughs> the recruiter, the the producer, you know, in the beginning all at once. But really super exciting. You know, like if you were to come in my house at that time, you know, just sticky notes in the kitchen and posters on the wall, you know, just where it was just a whole lot of work to find the right thing that people really wanted that matched what I, I thought I was really good at and what I wanted to offer. Yeah, absolutely. And you can't give up. No. You can't give up. And I, and I tell you, it's, it can be exhausting, but so worth it. But it, you know, if you can commit to that iteration and that getting to the place where it feels really right and not get too tired and yeah. keep up the energy, then there's just a really big payoff there.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And what was the seminal moment where Allison went, right, I've got to jump and make guide happen?
1: Interestingly enough, I was not hired when I was a consultant to make any sort of content creation recommendations. But what I observed is, you know, just a, lot, a whole heck of a lot of content being created, videos that no one was watching, long articles, 100-page PDFs powerpoints that no one could barely sit through and it all very much felt like the 1990s and then i would walk out on the streets like in new york and everyone would have you know their airpods in and you know or their headphones in at the time and and we were consuming content in our personal lives in a whole different way than how business was creating it and sharing it and i just thought that was just a really big opportunity to solve for that and my sister is an artist and professor in new york and I was I had the opportunity to speak at South by Southwest interactive one year, and she drugged me on this audio walking tour by an amazing company called Detour, which later got acquired. But we were jumping fences and walking through churches. and it was this interactive experience with audio that I had never experienced, before I mean, it was just really interesting. And so I left Austin and I said it it's it has to be audio. And this was two thousand and sixteen. So, that's the direction I went. Cool. <laughs> yes. <laughs> when you look at what audio is doing. Yes. Good, right time in history. That is Absolutely. For sure.
3: <laughs> and then of course you faced the challenge of blank sheet of paper and you suddenly needed some technology that could allow you to listen to audio, but have links and articles and visuals at your fingertips at the same time in the same place. So how did you go about that?
1: Well, it's interesting, I you know, when I had the idea, it was something I set on a little bit. I knew that really coming out of Austin, I was actually on a hike one one day here in Boulder and thought like if I add this layer of interactivity, it becomes a multimodal experience or a multimedia experience that would be much richer and more interesting than just, say, a podcast. But that's the direction I wanted to go because I wanted people to learn and really dig into the content they were hearing. And so, you know, that really led me in the direction of this is what it needs to be and I need to find <laughs> a technologist to join me. And so I had an, a small agency here in Boulder called Made Create the first prototype and Scott Prindle, who's the co-founder and CTO of Guide, was the CTO there and he is just amazing. Started at RGA, headed up all the technology at Crispin and is just really amazing technologist. And so I somehow lassoed him over to come, you know, start the company with me really after that prototype.
3: Amazing. And how hard was it to get the tech to do this?
1: Well, we've been building since 2018. So it's, I would say, if <laughs> I think if Scott was here, we'd say we have a lot of software and we started with a mobile app and then quickly decided that we needed to create A creator platform so that people could just sign up, sign in, make a guide in minutes, publish it, you know, and share a URL. And that's not where we started. We started with like Google Docs and sending people to recording studios in New York. And, you know, so where we are today took some time as all great ideas do and a whole lot of belief and you know, investors and people that advisors that were behind us, encouraging us. And, um, and here we are in, in launching our beta. So we're a couple of years into it, which kind of speaks to, you have to have resilience and you have to keep at it. Yeah.
2: And what have you found have been your secrets to having resilience?
1: Mm, That's such a great question. You know, I think I'm very goal oriented as a person and I see that you know, when I was younger, beyond the, the father story that I shared about him being an entrepreneur, he died when I was really young. So I was about nine years old. And I think as a kid, you know, loss like that teaches you resilience early on, um, or you have to just get up and keep going. You know, that skill, if you will, carries over to to other things in in life. And are there any practices that you do sort of on a daily basis that you think really help you? I take mental breaks fairly often. I mean, I, that's part of the reason why I live in Colorado, you know, just getting outside, doing things where I'll stop thinking about, you know, what I do for a living and and focus on other things uh, in yeah. a very purposeful way. I think that's really important. Um, movement really helps me. Yeah. So just any walking or any physical movement really helps me. Just this week, actually, someone gave me some really good advice. And You know, they said you should wake up every day and try to figure out how on that day you're going to do less. And if you can find people around you that will help you do that so that you focus on those very, very important things that you're best at. And that really that was real clear to me. Mm. The way that he proposed that is like, you know, are you doing less today? Yeah. And I really like that um, because part of being a leader or really moving through your, your career is being able to attract people around you. That help you do your best work.
2: Yeah. I like that, Gret. I think we should should how can we do
3: (laughs) rest today? (laughs) Absolutely.
2: (laughs) So you've you've launched
3: your beta. What's your ambition for guide? You know, if everything went as you would hope, what would it mean to the world?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, instead of, you know, writing an email, composing an article, recording a video, guide is a choice, and if not the choice for how we communicate and share content. I think there's so much beauty in the format and in our natural sort of ability to go from ears to sight to tactile interaction that, you know, we've designed it in a way that hopefully it replaces the things that don't seem so intuitive to us.
3: That sounds amazing, by the way. And And how's the beta going so far? Is it being now sort of used by
1: companies or members of the public? It's individual creators. So people who are business creators pushing out newsletters and podcasts and videos. And so, you know, those people are really interesting to us because high quality, fast to create audio content that's interactive is a real selling point. And then we continue to work with big enterprise or global businesses in learning and marketing and communications. And those are really who we're focused on. And the beta, I mean, it's just going exceptionally well. We have a wait list, um, which I'm thankful for every day. And people are just excited to try it. We're going to have to get ourselves on this wait list, I think. <laughs> I can push you up. Do you know somebody <laughs> that can
2: help us get on there? Yeah, I yeah. do. Yeah. That inside scoop.
3: Yeah. <laughs> And how's it been spending all those years in integrated marketing initially and then within the agencies and kind of training the agency folk and the brands? How's it been having to, as you say, market your own business?
1: I mean, it's hard. Software and technology launching a scalable VC-backed software company as a woman. It's hard work, but it's exciting. Every day is a new challenge. It's not easy, but like the easy hasn't ever really paid off for me. So it's just exciting. And
3: tell us more about, you know, because you added as a woman, it's hard. Tell us more about the experiences that you had that made you say that.
1: Oh, gosh. The early story that I like to tell people over cocktails is I'd never raised money before. So, you know, I was unfamiliar with the process. And many of the men in my life would say, oh, it's just a game that you have to figure out. Uh, And I didn't really like that description of it, but I I was in San Francisco and I met with one of the first VCs I'd ever spoken with. And I was at the table, he walked in and, you know, I've just being very honest, like I haven't raised money before. I wasn't playing the game, if you will. And he said, you know, look, if you would have gone to Stanford and you were 20 years younger and a a man, we would probably have a much easier conversation. (laughs) Wow. Mm. And that is a true story. And that's kind of where I started. So as the founder, I was a little resistant to raise money. And then mm. what happened is I started meeting amazing investors. <laughs> you know, I had to navigate to this tribe of investors that understood the idea, that understood me as an older female technology founder and just found a lot of value in that. So our lead investor is in the UK and she's a woman and... So the story got a whole heck of a lot better, but it started in a place that was pretty dark. (laughs) Yeah. And I reckon I can hear a thousand voices at
3: least now shouting out, well, how did you meet that amazing tribe of investors? How did you
1: get there? Literally cold call people. I mean, I've been in sort of a business development role, you know, a good part of my career in some way or another. And I just had to figure it out, you know, invite people to lunch, ask for advice, cringe when they gave me advice that just didn't make sense. Like I have to play some board game in order to get funding, be myself, you know, speak the truth, pitch ideas because they're, they're meaningful and that they're going to make a difference in the world. And then as I worked through that, I just started finding more and more people who were like, yes, yes. You know, (laughs) this is an idea that's needed in the world and you're the one to bring it to the world together with your co-founder and the people that work with you. So that's the ticket is like, again, just continue to march because that afternoon after that San Francisco, you know, VC said that to me, like, you know, and even weeks after I was like, I'm not doing this. And then, you know, I had to get right back in there. And how did you find your investor in the UK? The VC is Supernode Global, and they specialize in media. They look at audio very closely. So it was also some coaching around, try to find the VCs that really understand this area, media, audio, content. That's how I navigated there.
2: Yeah, right. And it sounds as if you've had maybe a person or a couple of people giving advice, mentoring. Is that right?
1: Yeah, and it's been invaluable. You know, starting with a college and uh, grad school friend, when I told her about the idea way back in, in the very beginning, before we started building anything, she, I was on vacation with her outside of Boston, and she just pulled her car over on the interstate, you know, and she said, you have to do that. You have to make that thing. And starting with that, where she's now an advisor, and then just finding other people who came around the idea and came around the company and picking them, whether their expertise was operations or finance, that's the ticket. I would advise, without a doubt, is just, you know, always ask, always reach out. Don't be afraid. Because what I found is that people that seem very hard to access are actually quite available. Yeah, and
2: often it is, it is about asking, isn't it? You know, you might get knocked back, you know, a number of times,
1: but you'll have a strike
2: rate and uh, that's the gold.
1: Yeah. And I think if you don't get knocked back, you're really not doing it right. Yeah. I think that's part of the process. And if it were easy, you know, the whole dynamics, that would all change. I know you're not that
2: far down the journey, but if you if you were going back and doing it all again, what advice would you give others about how you navigate some of these challenges as a startup?
1: I mean, I think the the big lessons learned were, you know, don't think too much about things you know, it's a little bit like the Facebook saying, right. It's, is you know, better done than perfect. And I'm not, I'm not necessarily a perfectionist. I don't think anyone would describe me as that, but like being cautious about showing people things, meaning like, oh, let's make a few changes before we show it. I think that whole thing about showing early, showing often is true. And I think not sitting, maybe not sitting on the idea, you know, I sat on it really for a couple of years. And, you know, showed it to some friends, thought about it, pitched it to some colleagues that I knew really well. So I stayed in the safety zone. But, you know, God, the idea, it was really pretty early in audio's history from a mass adoption point of view. And so I think those are the things like don't stay in hiding, you know, move, move fast. And if it feels uncomfortable, it's probably right. If it feels too comfortable, then you've waited too long. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely.
3: Wise words there, I think. Well, Alison, it's been fascinating talking to you. We always like to end our conversations with a couple of questions. And and the first one I'd love to ask is, if you look back, what advice would you give to your 30-year-old self, or if you prefer, your 25-year-old self?
1: I mean, I think I would tell my 25-year-old self to slow down, appreciate some of the things that are around you, and pay attention to things. Because you know things don't last forever if we're too focused on you know work and how we're progressing our careers you know we forget to like look at the flowers and go out for a hike and connect with friends and and that can happen and in my 20s i i wasn't doing as much of that along with travel that i should have or would i you know that's the advice i'd give go to australia and and some time
0: <laughs> If huh. you can
1: get in. If you can get in. Maybe not now.
0: <laughs> when in, or out. Right, or out. When it, when
1: it opens, there'll just be, you know, a flood of people, I'm sure. I don't know. But yeah, for sure. That's what I think. Slow down. And look out because we'll be coming to Colorado to go okay. skiing and hiking. <laughs> Absolutely. We can just do an exchange. That's perfect. Yeah.
3: <laughs> and do you have a, a motto or a philosophy in life at all?
1: Gosh. I mean, I think if anything, it's stay true, you know, to who you are. That's pretty powerful. And it's a pretty powerful note to
3: end on too, Alison. Thank you so much for making the time to be with us and our listeners today. It's been a fascinating conversation. And if listeners wanted to learn more about you or Guide, where would you recommend they go? Guide.com. So G-I-I-D-E.com. Great. Well, we'll put that in the show notes. And it just is left for me to say one more time, Alison, thank you so much. It's been a real delight. Thank you so much. Thanks,
2: Alison. It was so refreshing to hear Alison's approach and philosophy around being true to yourself and not trying to fit the mold of what cultures expect an entrepreneur to be look or sound like wasn't it Mm-mm, yeah for sure you know and there are definitely quite a few biases around founders who aren't young or white or male um so it's really good news she's found supporters who aren't swayed by those biases yeah I totally agree you know and i also love that approach of asking yourself how you could do less today it's a really good way of getting to focus on your true most important priorities isn't it Mm. you know gret it feels so weird you're not saying much (laughs) I really hope your voice comes back tomorrow. Me too. I feel your pain, literally. (laughs) Well, before our listeners tire of my voice, I think it's better to call it a day now. And so that's this episode done and dusted. Stay tuned for a mini episode next week. And may we all be true to ourselves. Mm Mm-mm. And ciao for now from me.